Welcome, everybody, to episode 116 of VR Roundtable. What is going on? We have three of the Knights of the Round that are present today. Chris is absent. Not sure what he's doing, but he is not around this week. But we do have Steve. We have Gary. Uh, why don't I send it over to Steve? Steve, how is everything going despite the other issues? We'll get into that a little bit later. But Everything's going pretty good. Um other than, and, and it's no secret because I put it in the show title, hashtag Pimax broke again. That's, I guess that's been the biggest thing happened to me this week. Um, I don't know if we won't get into it now whenever we, we get into it, but um, it's a it's a failure to the point where I had to send it off to them. So it's not the cable issue. The cable issue was resolved. Um, but what has happened is um, I'm starting to see a little backlight around the left eye um, from the LCD screen that's in there. And um, when I made a support ticket, they said, yeah, you got to send this in and we'll send you a replacement. So um, I had one of the early batches um, the, the backer that I bought from was backer 240 something. So it was in that first initial shipment, that first initial batch. And, um, you know, I, I kind of glad as weird as that sounds that I had an issue that is going to allow me to get a replacement because I think, um, the replacement will be from the, the second, third, fourth batch where they've, they've learned and they've refined the process a little bit. Um, I don't want to say that there are different versions. Uh, some people have gone as far as to say that there are different versions. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I just think that, um, They've they've just done some tweaking and and have refined the process and hopefully had the quality better on the newer batches. So um, I, I I'm okay with it. Um, you know I think um, it's a bummer. You know I, I spent the money that I spent for this headset. It wasn't a cheap headset and to have to now go without it again for the second time. And and like I was telling Gary early on in the sh uh, before we started recording, I said, well I'm no worse for wear. In these moments without my Pimax, I'm falling back to the Odyssey and or the Rift. And and if I had never bought a Pimax, I would be using the Odyssey and or the Rift. So I'm I'm not in a worse position, um, but I did spend some money for a Pimax headset and, and it's been kind of hit or miss, but I still prefer the experience and I have no regrets. And when I get it back, it's the headset that I'm going to use almost 100% of the time. So um, it's, it's sort of a catch-22. I can't ignore the fact that it's my favorite VR headset uh, despite the, these these other issues. So. Hey, Steve, you, you're supposed to buy two of them. You keep one of them hermetically sealed and, you know, break glass in, in case of emergency, right? Hell, I'd be worried about not using it and then turning it on and it booting up broken. Like, you know, they, they've got quality issues and, and I think they'll sort it out. Like, um, you know, I still have confidence in Kevin. You know, we did that show with him, spent a lot of time talking to him and, um, uh, I, th I think they'll write the ship and, you know, we have to compare where they are right now, sort of to the earlier days of Oculus and Vive. And, um, you know, no matter what, their support can't be that much more worse than than HTC. So, um, you know, it kind of is what it is. And, and hopefully um, I will say, like, I, when I determined the failure and I created the support ticket, it was less than 24 hours. I had a response from Pimax. They told me where to ship the headset. I dropped it off at the post office, shipped the headset, and they sent me a PayPal payment for the cost of shipping. All of that happened in less than 24 hours. So my personal support experience is that they've done really, really, really well. And they say they have enough uh, extra 5Ks here in the U.S. to send me a replacement immediately. 
the question will be, will they send it immediately or will I be waiting three weeks, you know, before they get around to distributing it out to me or something. So um, we'll see how it goes. I'll let everybody know. Okay. And Gary, you're doing pretty good over there in jolly old England. You're going to be getting your hands on a Pimax as well. So it leaves Steve's hands and it goes into yours. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, sort of, yeah. Um, so very kindly, uh, Whitway Studios, uh, the makers of People Cubed, they, well, actually Lee from Whitway Studios contacted me a while ago um, saying that they had a, a an order of a Pimax coming to them and I was welcome to go over to their place. They only live sort of around and about an hour away from me anyway. Um, they said I could go over and give it a try when they get it. Um, since then, um, Lee at Whitway uh, has sort of messaged me on Twitter and said that they've they've received it now, they've they've had a chance to play around with it, but he thinks it will be better if I actually borrow it for a few days. So um they're very kindly, I mean, uh this is I'm very grateful for them to to do this and hopefully I'll be picking up this Pimax 5K plus uh tomorrow or the day after. Um and I'll give a few impressions next week. But um yeah I, I just can't speak highly enough of Whitway Studios for allowing me to do this. It's uh fantastic of them. Yeah, that is super awesome. I mean, it's one thing to invite you over to try it out. It's another thing to like let you have it for several days. That is really cool. All right. Well, we don't have a tremendous number of stories this week, but we do have there. There is some interesting stuff that did happen this week. In fact, there were a couple of bizarro days earlier this week. And one of the bizarro days was when we found out that the Nintendo Labo VR situation is actually real. This is actually real. It is actually happening. I can tell you guys, when I first saw this, it was the previous evening before like all the information had kind of hit that, that one day. And I saw it was something about a tweet, Nintendo Labo VR. It was on the Vive subreddit. I clicked on it. I looked at it, and I was like, this is April Fool's. This has got to be April Fool's. But no, it's actually really true. So Nintendo is dipping their toes in the VR waters with Nintendo Labo VR. Okay, now, what is the deal with this thing? So it is releasing on April 12th. If you already have a Nintendo Switch, I believe you can play... You can pay 40 bucks and you can get one package that is basically the starter pack, which pretty much provides the cardboard and some of the basics that you need to, to have a VR experience, a hold up to your face VR experience. We'll get more, we'll get into that a little bit uh, a little bit later. But that is the starter pack, but you can also buy the full entire bundle, I believe, for $80, which comes with additional expansions there's like an elephant thing there's bazookas there's all kinds of interesting contraptions that you can uh connect to this and it's super exciting because regardless of anything this is nintendo and this is vr it is official nintendo is starting vr whatever else you want to say nintendo is involved in vr in some way shape or form that is incredible the other thing that we were super curious about is the age factor because if you look at PlayStation VR, it's I believe 12 plus is what they call it. So you're supposed to be 12 years old, you're supposed to be 12 years or older. If you're 11 years and younger, not really supposed to use PlayStation VR, according to Sony. Nintendo 
has made it seven years and older. So if you're seven years and up, it's all good. If you're six years and under, stay away kind of a thing. That's very interesting just in and of itself. But uh, why don't I kick it over to Gary real quick. Gary, when did you see this? And did you immediately think this was legitimate or did you think you were being punked? No, actually, when when I first saw this, so it was uh, early on this week, and to me, it, it sort of everything sort of fell into place because we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on this show about how there were rumors about the Nintendo Switch getting into VR, Nintendo getting into VR yet again, and part of those rumors was this report from somebody that came out and they predicted or they had some kind of uh, inside source about the fact that this was going to be a Labo device. And to me, that's where it sort of fell into place because Nintendo are not passionate about VR. They don't really want to create the best VR headset out there or anything like that. But it falls into place because this is almost a throwaway product that they can put out there and say, we are involved in some way in VR. And this is almost like, I don't think we need to consider this as being a... A device where Nintendo are now into VR. This is a Labo device which happens to feature VR. And I think that's the better way of looking at it because this is not Nintendo sort of staking their claim in the world of VR at all. It's not even close to that. It's a, a throwaway novelty little um uh, I mean, we, we use the word gimmick, and I think in this case, I think it's perfectly up to use the word gimmick for this. Um which which is fine for Nintendo. And I said at the time when I first heard the rumors of this, I think it's perfectly fine for Nintendo to do this and sort of have a half-hearted attempt at doing VR. And uh, I don't see why they wouldn't do it. And it turns out that they are doing it. So, um, yeah, there's, there's not really too much to say in terms of like an enthusiast for VR because um, I'm not excited by it. But maybe I will pick it up. My son's got a, a Nintendo Switch. So maybe I'll I'll pick one of these up and see what it's like. Okay, well, quick question there, because you're saying that this like this doesn't mean Nintendo's really getting into VR. It's half-hearted. My question for you is why? What like why would Nintendo do this? Because there are, regardless of whatever warnings they put on the box and everything, when you're involved with kids and parents, you know, if somebody goes to McDonald's and they get a cup of coffee and they spill a little bit of coffee on their hand, they could sue McDonald's. You know, we're in this type of society. Why would Nintendo want to even gamble? Like, like why would why would they even want to screw around with this if it's completely half-hearted? What is the ulterior motive? Well, here's the thing with this device as well, and it's something that we should probably mention. It's not really a VR headset. You hold this thing up to your face. At any time, you can just move your hands away and, and you're back in the real world again. Um, and I understand there are going to be concerns with it, but these are going to feature, this is not going to feature Zelda. I mean, nobody in the VR community would say that this is going to be like Zelda in VR or anything like that. But it is going to feature some very specific short mini games and that kind of stuff is a very mild distraction. So the fact that they've got these age ratings on there really, it doesn't speak to anything in terms of their liability because they can make it perfectly clear that this is, and I'm sure there will be, that any experience you go into, they will be plastered with warnings covering their own back with any of this stuff anyway. Um, but this is not uh, in the realms of a PSVR even. This is just a, a very mild introduction to VR. And Google Cardboard, okay, which I suppose is the closest approximation to what Nintendo are going for with this, 
I actually don't know. I probably should have looked this up before we came on the show, but I don't know what the age rating for Google Cardboard and that kind of stuff is, because this is really a closer uh, uh, version of that kind of headset than it is anything close to a PSVR or an Oculus Rift. Okay, Steve, I want to get your thoughts on this, but but let me start it off with a question, and then you can go to your general overall opinion on it. Okay, so my question for you, Steve, is let me pose a hypothetical scenario. Okay, so let's say you're Nintendo, and let's say you don't like VR at all. In fact, you're you kind of hate VR, like like you're just not a fan of the idea of VR. Period. Do you introduce something like this so that it fails miserably? Uh, well, if it does fail miserably, you can say, well, hey, we tried. You know, we did VR for the Nintendo Labo. Nobody liked it. Nobody cared about it. So we, you know, we dipped our toes in VR. We gave it, we gave it the old college try. You know, we did our best. Nobody liked it. Nobody cared about it. So now we're done with VR completely. Is, is that what's going on here? No, I, I don't think so. I think I think this is them selling some cardboard for $80. That's that's what I think this is. You know, do you know what the profit margins are on this thing? There's probably, you know, two bucks in parts and uh, four bucks in distribution and, you know, throw some marketing money at it and it's going to print money. Um, you know, it may not move a lot of units, but the units that it moves is going to be very profitable. That's what this is. That's what this whole Labo line is. And... Um, I don't I don't I don't think it's them saying, hey, you know, we dipped our toes in VR. Now everybody can get off our back. You know, we, we tried it. Um, I just I think this is an idea that that somebody in their marketing and production teams come up with that says this will be a good idea for a Labo set that we can charge a lot of dang money for. I mean, you look at it, I'm showing right now on the on the video feed. They have these expansion sets where you, you become an elephant. And like, it's just this is this is a this is a um, Cotterad Lawrence said in chat. That's a glorious glorified view master and that is exactly what i was going to say had he not typed it in chat already that's exactly how i see this this is a view master that you dock your switch into this is not in my mind going to be a good vr experience the the uh, the i have no confidence that the lenses are going to be a super high quality and if they are we're talking about a 720p screen um it's just this has all like one of the very first episodes of vr roundtable that i was on this is going back maybe episode, I think I came on on episode five and have been around since then. Um, but it was maybe episode five, episode six. There were rumors back then, going way back, that Nintendo was considering VR on the Switch. And we knew a lot less about VR back then. All we did was we had our vibes and that was our only real experience. And we laughed it off back then. And here, more than two hour, two years later, uh, I'm going to laugh it off now. Like, this is not a serious VR experience. This is not, I wouldn't even call it a VR headset. It is some cardboard. It's a Viewmaster. It's meant for kids. It's going to be no different than the um, last year, what was like 30, 40 bucks. You could buy a Star Wars headset that played only one game. Like, you could buy it at Target and maybe Best Buy and stuff. Uh, I, it, it's it's going to be in that same vein. It's a, it's a stocking stuffer toy. Um, no more. 
The um, just just very quickly because um, we did have a comment in chat which is quite <laughs> I, I like this comment. So I am said if I was a kid I would think this looked cool as hell. Look at it from the kid's perspective, not from a VR enthusiast. And that's an interesting little way to look at this because um, we do obviously we focus on this show is a the VR enthusiast perspective. Um, and I'm not I'm not, I don't want to come across and say like this is this is bad for VR or anything like that. I, I will never say it's bad for VR on the whole, but I do think this is not Nintendo getting into VR. It's simply a Labo kit that features VR. And if actually, I agree with what Iron Boots said. If if I was a kid, you know, if I was a, a little kid growing up, I would think this is pretty cool and I, I would want it. Um, so maybe we should look at it through that point of view rather than it being a realistic attempt by Nintendo getting into VR. Yeah, that's do exactly have, how I'm looking at it. I was just going to say, do we have any details on this in terms of like what the actual game, like like what is someone going to actually play? Because all I've seen, I mean, I've seen all the Nintendo Labo, like the the box and stuff, but have we seen any like actual footage of, of any of the little mini games? You got to assume it's mini games. See, I think part of the, Part of the seven plus thing is exactly what you were alluding to, Gary. There's you're not strapping this on your head for a half an hour. You're gonna put it up to your head like this, and you're gonna be limited probably to like six or seven minute burst of maybe even shorter than that. Because um, you know, we're gonna talk about Otica later, but when you have your arms up all the time, it it starts to get tiring after a while. Do you think that? It's just going to be basically a little collection of mini games. Is is this going to be a one-off thing, or do you think we'll we'll get some additional little software titles later? My my assumption is that like like with the little blaster gun, like that'll have a game, and then that'll be it. And then you know if you buy the expansion kit when it's available, um, for the to be the elephant, it's probably some sort of safari thing where you tromp around as an elephant or something um i'm assuming that these are just one-off pieces of software that tie specifically to whatever attachment that you're putting on at that time well um just looking at the the past of nintendo labo as well to the best of my knowledge they have simply been little mini games that are based around the the labo design that they have that they're bundled with um, so I think this is going to be no different from that. They are going to be mini games. Just very quickly going through. So you've got a blaster um, thing that comes into the starter set. You've got a camera, the elephant, the bird, and the wind pedal as well. So these are all very specific to individual titles that they are going to bundle with each of these things. I don't think you're going to be getting any games that appear on the store necessarily, um, although I'm sure they do have that option if they want to go down that path. I just honestly, if, if I was to make a bet, I, w I wouldn't think that they would go down that path. I think what you get in this Labo set is is the mini games that will be included forever, really. That's, that's all it's going to be. Okay, I just wanted to say thanks to all the super chatters. Uh, Recycled started things off with a very early super chat, and then we just got a super chat from Jan Red and also I Am Ruts. And Jan Red and I Am Ruts are talking about my little YouTube problems over there. Yeah, is anybody out there an AdSense expert? If so, hit me up, info at vrgamerankings.com. I am having a little bit of AdSense troubles. So anyway, um, going back to this Nintendo thing, we we talk about the 720p screen here, right? And we talk about okay, so you're you're chopping a 720p screen in half. But 
if we go back to the days of the virtual boy and we think about like past systems of years gone by, this is actually like high resolution. You know, this is high def, baby. Like they I could don't do, know. Like I think the damn Virtual Boy probably looked better because it had those red like lasers. I don't know if it was CRT based or what it was, but like that didn't really have a resolution. You know, it was just the 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 red outline. Like, did you ever play with the Virtual Boy? Yeah, way way, way back. One. Like, I mean, it's been early. probably twenty years or whatever since I more. I guess I don't know, but like I I think the Virtual Boy even though it was sort of monochrome color with just a red would probably have a higher pixel resolution equivalent than this thing will have. But the, the, the DK one, <laughs> the Oculus DK one only had a resolution of like 800 vertical pixels. And a lot of people were impressed by that. And that that's really squarely where Nintendo are aiming this. I don't see the 720p necessarily as a huge problem. It's a huge problem for VR enthusiasts, but it's not a huge problem for casuals just diving into a Nintendo Labo experience. So um, I think that's sort of been... Um, People make too much of that, in my opinion. It's still, a, I, I will acknowledge, you know, it's a problem as a VR enthusiast. But uh... yeah, I've heard one of the reasons why you're you're not going to actually strap a switch to your head completely, why you have to lift it up and put it up to your head, is simply the weight of the switch. Like the switch itself is just too heavy. Um, and then another thing I, I did want to mention here is. Emily Rogers. Okay, you want to talk about Nostradamus? That's Miss Nostradamus right there because she gets all the inside scoops. She is the one. We need our own version of Emily Rogers. We need a, a Valve version of Emily Rogers, but we'll get to that in a minute here. But Emily Rogers, she gets all these scoops, and it was a couple of weeks ago. It was like three weeks ago. I don't know how long it was where she was talking about Nintendo's going to be dipping their toes in VR, and it's going to be Nintendo Labo related, and and bam. I mean, she hit it right on the money. That's exactly what happened here. And then one other thing I was going to say is a lot of people in VR land, uh, Rift and Vivers, some of them are playing like old school Quake. We're playing like the original Doom or the original Quake. What resolution are those running at, at 60 frames or whatever? Like, you could kind of do that stuff on on this Nintendo Switch VR. I, I mean, I know they're not going to do that, but it's within the realm of possibility there. Um, any final comments before we move on from this one? No, no, I think, yeah, I think we've covered it pretty much. Um, but we, we'll cover it in the coming weeks because actually I did mention earlier on that, that I, I might be picking one of these things up when they come out. And I, I do mean that. I, I would like to really try this. So I think you're the only one of us on the roundtable crew here that has a Nintendo Switch. I don't have a Switch. Do you have a Switch, Anthony? Your boys have a Switch? No. So, yeah, it's going to have to be you if we want any coverage of this thing, because I am not buying a Switch just for this Labo <laughs> VR thing. I'll tell yeah. you that much. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll get that. I think I'll probably get this starter pack. I don't think I'm invested enough to get the uh, the, the full uh, extras, but uh, I might get the starter pack with this, yeah. Well, hell, that's probably like a $200 if you get all the expansion kits and everything. <laughs> you call yourself an enthusiast. Well, um <laughs> I was just looking at this actually because uh, did we mention the price on these? Um, I thought so it was eighty for the full set. Yeah, I think the full set is eighty dollars, and the starter pack is forty dollars. Um, so oh. that's, that's worth thinking about. I, I, I was thinking eighty was that starter kit, and then the expansions were going to cost more. Okay, that's better then. Yeah, it's worth. I mean, I, if I had a switch, I would probably just to see what what are they doing. You know, just to see what they're doing, just to see like. 
any little warnings that pop on the screen or just all the it's Nintendo, man. This is Nintendo. Like as much as this is kind of like bizarro world, it's still Nintendo. It's still VR. So I still think it's kind of interesting. And hopefully there there has to be a few people inside Nintendo that have played stuff like um, Robots Rescue from the Playroom VR and then, of course, Astrobot and and all the other stuff that we got and and Lucky's Tale. You know, my wasn't Miyamoto filmed one time actually playing Lucky's Tale at one point at like some trade show or something? I think. Pretty I don't sure. Be, I don't recall that, um, but possibly, yeah. I mean, uh, th- there was something where people were talking about Miyamoto's uh, sort of um, interest in VR, and generally he's not really shown a great deal of interest, but I do remember something where he played something at some kind of trade show uh, a long time ago anyway. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get into our next story. And I was mentioning Emily Rogers, and I said, man, I wish we had the Valve version of Emily Rogers, because then maybe we could figure out what is really going on here. Okay, so one of the things that happened this week is a very interesting post hit the Vive subreddit that was basically like another Valve leak, supposedly. Okay, and so we got to take this step by step. So basically, a guy posted on the Vive subreddit, his name was Tuflock, Tup- not Tupac, not to be confused with Tupac. Tuflock was on the Vive subreddit, and he was saying that he got a message from uh, from the guy that originally, that sent him the original leak, which was all those pictures that were from a Valve, well, we're assuming from some type of Valve factory floor somewhere where they had these Valve chipsets that were in these Valve headsets, the mystery Valve headset that we're not really sure all about. Well, that's the guy that posted it originally. I mean, he's the one that took the original pictures, supposedly, sent them to this guy. Tuflock posted that. He got another message from who he believes to be the same guy. And in this message, the guy was basically kind of insinuating that Valve is pretty much done with this VR headset. Like, it's kind of being scrapped that Valve has laid off half of their hardware team and that it's only a matter of time before the rest get the Jerry treatment. Speaking of Jerry Ellsworth, who was the head of Valve's AR division for a while there before they scrapped that. And so this was a big deal for a couple of days there on the Vibe subreddit. I think ultimately it's kind of blown over a little bit and we're kind of left with this idea that maybe it's, it's all fake. Like we don't even know, like it's really hard to wrap our heads around this. Gary, what do you, what do you make of this story? Like, I mean, I don't even know where to start with it kind of. Yeah. So um, to me, this all started when uh, Nat Brown, um, who is at VR and he was sort of, uh, he started off in a lot of things with VR in terms of the software side, I believe. Um, He said that he's no longer uh, working in VR at Valve. And then he clarified it on Twitter as well to say that he's no longer at Valve either. Um, Another employee that posted something on LinkedIn, uh, Rob Rydberg, um, and he was involved in VR at Valve as well. So these are you know, not all of these 13 employees were involved in VR. It's important to say that. So these are not like a, a, a huge number of people for VR. But there, there are at least a couple of them that have been involved in VR and now have been let go. Um, but there were, there were these emails as well. So um, 
some people, some Reddit users emailed uh, Gabe Newell and sort of asked him what is going on and he replied. Um, but we don't know sort of the, whether these are real or not. And he did seem to, I mean, I don't know, maybe Gabe Newell's not got a lot of time on his hands um, to to say anything. But um, he said that like in response to one email, he simply replied, nope, which is very you know, I think Gabe Newell does respond a lot like that from emails that have been validated. Um, there was a lot of speculation whether any of these em emails were true or not, um, because they a lot of the Reddit users were asking whether the, the VR titles, the three VR titles that were in production that Gabe Newell previously confirmed, whether they are still going ahead. And according to these emails, they are. The other thing, um, which has uh, come out just... Uh, uh within sort of yesterday i believe something like that um by uh let's have a quick look alan yates okay so he posted something on twitter regarding this as well which is sort of a relatively new thing um and what he said is that they are still working on vr there is no way that they are going to abandon this technology or anything like that um and they th he promises that they are still working on vr and we don't need to be uh, too worried about it uh paraphrasing his tweet there but um you know there's, there's a lot going on and i i agree you know that, that sometimes we have these layoffs in these companies and the fact that a couple of these people in these layoffs are were involved in vr it does make us who as a vr community are a little bit maybe a little bit paranoid and a little bit uh, sensitive to the fact that we want all of these developers and people that, that, that companies that have this interest in VR to continue with that. It can get sort of our, it can make us a little bit hesitant as to whether they are moving forward with it. But by all accounts, okay, so finish all that off. Basically, what I want to say is I believe that v Valve are going to continue with VR. This is all sort of the, the motion of companies that, that lay people off and do various things behind the scenes, and we shouldn't read too much into it. That's really, I, I guess that's sort of how I want to end it. Okay, Steve, I, I know that you saw all of this develop as it was happening. Um, I had a show earlier in the week, you jumped in, and we were kind of uh, talking about that a little bit. Do you believe, so Gaben has responded apparently with these three different replies to emails. I, I can I can imagine maybe one of those emails being real, but doesn't it seem a little bit weird that we never hear from Gabe and then all of a sudden, bam, he's just all over the place responding to emails? Or do you think those emails are legit, Steve? Well, I think they're legit. Um, Alan Yates's um, Reddit account had made reference to them, and we know that that account is legit. And there's been lots of good uh, information posted by that account claiming to be Alan Yates that has a lot of insight into the lighthouses, and he worked uh, a lot on the lighthouse development. So considering all of that, I'd have to say, yes, I believe those emails from Gabe were, in fact, legit. Um, I'd say we're getting a flurry of those emails going public because he's probably receiving a flurry of emails from people asking them as, if VR is canceled. Because as Gary mentioned, we are a sensitive, defensive bunch because we know that VR in a business sense, in an economic sense, is somewhat volatile um, in, in that there's not a lot of payback on investment uh, for anybody really at this point right now. So um, I, I think that all adds up. I, I think... Um, 
you know, if, if anybody's heard of the KISS approach, keep it simple, stupid. Um, I think if you follow it in Occam's Razor, uh, you follow the story, it's probably all true. It all just makes sense. It, it is what it is at face value. And um, I do think Valve has made a change with their intent around VR. Not to say that they're canceling it or that they're even reducing effort, um, but they've shifted. Like um, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, they, they laid off X number of people, however many people that is, they laid off X number of people because the prototype headset is done. And I, I, I rejected that idea because in, at least in my experience, you don't lay off people um, because your prototype or because your initial design is done unless you never plan on evolving that hardware and you never plan on releasing a version two or anything like that. So I think this is more of a shifting gear somewhat, not not a reduction necessarily, not a slowdown, but them probably reevaluating the direction they're heading exactly. Uh, you know, uh, just to throw this out here, pure speculation, but what if they decided to um, kind of get away from Lighthouse and go to a, a internal and inside out tracking? That would maybe ne necessitate switching up some of your hardware team. So again, I'm not saying that's what's happening here. I'm just throwing an idea of, of how they would switch gears somewhat, but not be slowing down in VR specifically. Um, so uh, I think I think it's all interesting. I think it's valid for for you know people like us on the podcast to uh, evaluate it and and wonder what's happening. Um, you know, something did happen. Something is happening. And one of the things that I wanted to point out, and it, it could have been just a um, a communication via typed uh, messaging, but Alan Yates on on Reddit said that it was not one half of the hardware team. And I read that as, okay, yeah, it wasn't half the hardware team, but he didn't specifically state that it was not half of the VR hardware team. And it could be just simply left out V and R, but um, I, I thought that was interesting to point out that he didn't actually reject technically um, that it wasn't, in fact, one half of the VR team that was laid off. Could could I just quickly cut in just to, to read yep. that Reddit post? I think I um, did say earlier it was a Twitter um, reply, but this is actually a Reddit post that Alan, Alan Yates put down there. So let me just quickly read this because I think it's worth doing and it actually makes his, his VR enthusiasts feel a little, little bit better, I think. Um, so Alan Yates said on Reddit, I am still at Valve, still working on VR R&D with the original core team and a bunch of people you've never heard about that have joined over the years. The rumor mill has been running over time lately as Gabe has confirmed, yes, Valve let some people go. VR wasn't the main group affected. It certainly wasn't half the FTEs in hardware. As you can see from the jobs website, we are still hiring for VR and other hardware related skills. Does anyone really believe we would abandon a nascent media like VR, especially one that uh, we have such a significant position in? Hardware is a great strategic of great strategic importance for, uh, to our future. VR and otherwise abandoning that capacity will be stupid. Um, so that gives us a lot of hope, I think, as VR enthusiasts. Uh, Steve, do you think with GDC approaching so quickly and with these kinds of rumors swirling in the background, like Valve normally doesn't have much of a presence at GDC, but do you think we might get some little tidbit of something to kind of maybe calm our, I mean, I guess we got it with Alan Yates, but do you think there might be anything, any other shoe that may drop or is this just going to be 
washed away and we're going to completely forget about this and months and months are going to go on. We're still waiting for Knuckles. Basically, I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball and tell us what is going to finally happen with this. Well, I'll say that I, I don't think that Valve are going to say something at GDC just because of this leak and to um, calm the nerves of a, of a bunch of crazy people on Reddit. Like, um, if they're going to say something, they plan ahead. Any company should be planning ahead and and preparing presentations, ordering booth, you know, all that crap that you put up a booth with. All that stuff takes time. And with with GDC being so close, if they were going to say something, they have already decided to say something prior to this this leak, this information this week. Um, but they might. I I, I don't know. Like. Um, I'm skeptical of Valve. You know, there's the meme out there, Valve time, Valve time. So uh, do I expect them to say anything? Not, not, not at all. Like I would not, I would not wage a penny that they're going to announce even a, a Knuckles uh, release quarter, much less a release date. Um, so no, I'm not going to expect them to say, I hope they do though. I will say that I really hope, uh, you know, my wife said something to me the other day. She's like, you haven't bought a VR headset in a couple months. Uh, so <laughs> they should announce something, you know, I'm, I guess I'll buy something else if they do, but. Um, that's a green light. <laughs> yeah, it, that's how I took it. It's definitely a green light. So if they announce something, I'm pre-ordering it day one. Um, so yeah, I hope they say something but I don't expect them to like, I don't know what their plans are. The whole knuckles thing has been weird to me. Um, I get that they were early versions and, and, and that they've made improvements along the way, but I've just, I, I don't know. Like I'm not used to seeing so much information out there about an unannounced product that wasn't reasonably close. Like, and we saw knuckles more than it's been more than a year ago now. Right. So like, I, I, I don't even expect it to come in 2019. Like, you know, if it does, it makes sense. It should, I hope, but I don't expect anything to come from valve at any time. All right, Gary, any final thoughts before we move off of this? Uh, any, any, is there anything incoming, any, anything that you feel is on the horizon here, or it's just a complete mystery to you? No, I, I do think that they are, I mean, I think those images were real. Um, so I think that they are working on something. I just don't know when it's going to get released. I would love it to be some kind of announcement or something, some kind of acknowledgement at least at GDC, but uh, I don't know if that will happen realistically. Okay, I did want to say thank you to Tony M and also Adam Oliver for the Super Chats. We're really blowing up on Super Chat today. Don't know what's going on with that. I guess it's all this speculation. People love it. Um, I, I, My final thought on the whole Valve thing is I believe, like, I think the way it's ultimately going to play out is you're going to hear about Valve's having something up in Seattle. You know, you're going to hear one of these things like Valve's having some kind of event. They're inviting press up to Seattle. It could be anything. And we're going to hear about that, like, in May or June or something. And then... It's going to be embargoed, and so they're going to have like tested and in gadget and upload VR and road to VR, and all those people are are pretty much going to go up to Seattle. They're going to see something probably over a couple of days. It's going to be embargoed for a couple of days, and then bam, it's going to hit. I think that's how it's going to happen. So basically, keep your eyes peeled whether you hear that there's some kind of event that's going to happen up there. That's probably the way it'll work. Before we jump. Um... I'm just curious to you guys. We, we don't know what this Valve headset is exactly in terms of specs and 
and, and just anything about it. All we have is some leaked pictures. Um, and likewise, you know, there's been no Rift S announced either. Um, so let's just let's just play a little game of theory. Um, if you're going to buy one headset and let's say for some reason both were announced in the next two to three weeks, which do you think you would see yourself going for? Like, um, I'll answer first, I guess, to kind of since I posed the question, but I, I'd say I'd lean more towards the Valve headset. Um, part of me is hoping that it has some high-end aspects to it. Like maybe they, um, I don't think they'll try to go for like Pimax Fove, but I could see them going for something like Half Dome, like maybe 140 horizontal, which was a huge improvement over headsets today. Uh, I could see it being higher resolution. Uh, and I could see it, um, you know, doing, uh, keeping with Lighthouse, but I could also maybe seeing them do something inside out. So I feel based on the very little information that we have, which is, which is to say nothing in an official capacity, I feel like Valve's headset may be, um, geared towards, uh, furthering the technology, you know, keeping the enthusiasts somewhat happy, whereas Rift S seems to, uh, possibly be going the other way and that it's kind of uh, of trying to knock down the barriers to entry. So I just thought maybe a, a good question, like, if, again, based on knowing nothing other than the speculation and rumors that we know today, which way would you see you yourselves going? I'll go Anthony first. Well, you know, I mean, I would have to know, is it a package? Like, is it a package that comes with two lighthouses and it comes with the knuckles? If it's a package... And it's and it's say it's eight hundred dollars. You get the valve headset, you get two lighthouses, you get two knuckles. Yeah, I would I would probably lean lean in that direction. I am I'm absolutely in the market for a VR headset. I want a new VR headset. I like my Rift, but I want something even better than that. I'm planning on picking up a Quest, but that's a different animal. I still want a higher end VR headset. I've, I've been tempted, I mean, well, I'm thinking about these 2160 by 2160 headsets that are rumored out there. I would hope that this would match that kind of resolution or maybe, I'm more, I'm kind of more interested in resolution than I am FOV right now. And um, so for me, it would be more resolution based, but I, it would have to be a package because I'm not interested in like buying a headset and then knuckles separately and then lighthouses separately. I, it's got to be a combined scenario for me. Yeah, and for me, so with two companies that I, I trust, I trust Oculus as a company to deliver me a quality product, and I also trust Valve um, as well. So I'd just follow the specs, and that's really where I'd go. And from all the rumors that are coming out from this, the Rift S is a marginal upgrade to the original Rift, which in some people will probably say it's actually a downgrade in terms of tracking, um, although I'd take convenience over over that any time. But just looking at, at the rumored specs of these two, and that's really all we can go on, I would, I would follow specs more than anything else. So I'd probably lean more towards the Valve HMD, um, but I don't know if I'd be a day one buyer really. Um, I would love to be to report on it on VR Roundtable, but I think I'd need to get a few people because Valve don't make a lot of hardware. If they have made any hardware, I think they've done like their Steam controller and that, like the Steam Link and that kind of stuff. Um, but I'd, I'd need some impressions on it before I jumped in, depending on the price, of course. But I think they're going to aim for, I don't know, who knows what, what price they'd aim for. We'd have to wait and see on that. But um, yeah, I'd lean towards the Valve HMD. 
Alrighty, well, why don't we go ahead and move on to more speculation, which is headed in the Oculus Rift direction. So everywhere around the internet, well, we've been getting conflicting reports. We keep getting reports that the Rift is completely sold out here. The Rift is completely sold out there. There's no stock left on Amazon. Oh, Amazon just got it back in stock. Now it's out of stock. So we're, we're seeing this all over the place, and some websites are starting to report on this. I think Variety actually had a story on Rift shortages all over the internet. And it's the timing is interesting because we are approaching GDC. There is a lot. Oculus is going to be at GDC in a major way. In fact, they've rented out a facility well a basically like a an auditorium place that is very close to where the primary gdc center is they're going to have all kinds of demos there the opportunity is there for them if they want to release something or announce an additional product here in terms of the rift s so it kind of seems like something is happening something is brewing behind the scenes gary we, we were just talking to you about this valve headset and the rumors there Oculus Rift shortages, do you believe where there's smoke, there's fire? Or is this just simply a case of, I mean, we might look a couple months from now and be like, oh, man, those Rift shortages had nothing to do with anything. It was just some Rift shortages. That's all it was. Yeah, it could definitely go that way. And I think that the fact that we've got some articles like on Road to VR um, are reporting this, that there are shortages, it's, I think the timing plays a big role in this because of the GDC coming up and we don't know what they're going to do. So if they were going to, okay, there's timing on two, two points on this. We've got timing of the fact that there's GDC coming up and we expect some kind of announcement from uh, Oculus at GDC, whether it be the Rift S or more updates on the Oculus Quest. There's got to be something there, I would, I would think. And I think even personnel at Oculus have even alluded to the fact that they've got something uh, to be announced at GDC. The problem we have as well in timing is a lot of people are looking towards the Oculus Quest is uh, the, the next Oculus device to be released. Why would Oculus release the Oculus Quest and the Rift S around about the same time? There's a lot up in the air with that. But with that, see, I, initially I was thinking that seems like a really strange decision. What would they do? The Oculus, the the Oculus Quest, and the Rift S around the same time. The only answer I have to that is that these are sort of they're amalgamating two fields. Okay, so you've got the PC VR headsets, the Rift, and then you've got mobile headsets, which are the Oculus Go at the moment, and the Oculus Quest is coming. Now, the Rift S, based on the rumors, shares so much technology with the Oculus Quest that a simultaneous launch of these devices doesn't seem quite so insane to me as it first would appear. Now, they could be trying to sort of amalgamate these two things. You've got a, a PC-based headset, which which is capable of higher fidelity uh, games and experiences, but it uses the same technology, really, at its core as the Oculus Quest. That sort of makes sense to me in that respect. So I don't know either way. It could be that this is all conjecture, like the, the, the lack of stock of the Oculus Rift could mean nothing, as Anthony mentioned. Um, at the same time, if it does mean something, I don't think it would be as insane as initially I thought. Yeah, Steve, a lot of people wonder 
can you sell these two products so close together? Because I guess the fear, like there's a natural fear that we have a, a group of hardcore Oculus fans, right? And these hardcore Oculus fans have been planning for a long time to buy an Oculus Quest. And then now all of a sudden you're going to throw a Rift S in their lap right before the arrival of the Oculus Quest. The worry, the worry out there is that these fans are much more hyped towards the Rift than they are a standalone. And so they're going to be much more tempted to kind of have this side upgrade than to buy an Oculus Quest possibly a couple of months later. Do you believe that Facebook just isn't concerned with a small, tiny minority that might be in this situation? I mean, how do you how do you spin this? How do you or or do you feel like they're going to be completely separate? Rift S is going to come in November. Like like how does Oculus deal with this? Well, you know, I flip the question back and say, what does it look like if they don't? If they don't do anything with the Rift and they just let the existing one continue to ride, what does that look like? Um, we're seeing Windows Mixed Reality Platform grow. We've seen the Odyssey, despite the comfort, uh, the Odyssey and the Odyssey Plus, we've seen them be relatively um, uh, successful, I, I, I think. Um, I, there's a... There's a huge segment of Vive owners and Rift owners that want to upgrade, and they haven't jumped in um, on the Pimax or, or the Odyssey for, for whatever reasons, but they still want something else. Um, so if, if, if Oculus does nothing and they continue to let the existing Rift be the only PC VR offering, I think they run the risk of losing people in the PC platform spectrum. Now, we can say that their focus is on the standalone where they have complete control over the platform and and anybody and everybody that wants to play on the quest has to abide by their rules and and you know, they have all of that market leverage, which is great for them, but can they afford to lose PC VR altogether? Um Personally, I think they missed an opportunity for the quest to be tetherable. Um, I really w I understand the technology and that, you know, you can't just slap an HDMI port on it and, and let it be tetherable. Um, you know, it maybe would have raised the cost, but I think they missed that opportunity to where they could kill two birds with one stone. Uh, we know that they're not making any money on the hardware and most assume that they are, um, in fact, selling the hardware at a loss. So by having a quest that was tetherable, that's less of a loss because you know, you're not going to take the loss on two potential headsets to one user, but yet you're going to get all of their software sales. So I'm a big fan of, of integrated platform solutions, a, a, a nice stack that builds up. So in, in my ideal world, Oculus would have a, a headset maybe a high-end headset and a low-end headset that was standalone that I could also tether to my PC when I wanted to play a game like Fallout. And then I had a single store that I bought all of my games and stuff from. Like, this keeps me more locked in. It, that, that situation makes it harder for me to go over to Steam and buy a game. And I feel like they're missing that opportunity. So I don't think that they are going to... Um, make these two headsets available for sale on the same day or anything like that. But I do think it's possible that they're close. Like I, I think they need to get this Rift S in whatever form that it is. I need that. I think they need to get it announced. They need to get it out there in some capacity 
so people can start planning. Maybe it comes, you know, maybe they announce it, um, you know, uh, here in the relative near term. They're like, okay, Quest is going to be available on this day. Oh, and by the way, later this fall, Rift S. Like, they might do something like that, but it needs to not be a product that that comes out in 2020 or 2021. They can't wait that long to address PC VR in my mind. One of the things I argued is like this problem of having Rift owners needing to needing to decide between two potential products, either grabbing themselves a Quest or kind of doing this side upgrade with a Rift S. That this problem is inevitable. It's going to happen regardless whether it happens in November or whether it happens in a couple of weeks. It is a it's it's a problem regardless. And then also Facebook, they're thinking hundreds of thousands. They're thinking millions. They're not thinking about a a very vocal 10,000 strong minority of Oculus fanboys that maybe only have one $400 uh, amount of money to throw at one of these two products. They're not thinking that way. Gary, would it be shocking to you for GDC, say on Wednesday, March 22nd, because that's the first day. See, Oculus, one of the things we have to remember here is Oculus is having a special uh, private press deal on Monday, March 18th, and it's invitation only. And Upload VR has talked about this. They're invited. They're going to be there. You got to imagine like Engadget, Verge, you know, a lot of those people are going to be there, right? And this press conference is embargoed till Wednesday. And then on Wednesday, that's when that Yerba Buena Art Center is going to open up where they have all those other demos. And it's kind of, you, you think about the timing. Now, we think about the timing, okay, it could just be Oculus Quest. There's a ton of Oculus Quest games. Some of them are never before seen, never before announced. And so they show press all this stuff. And then on Wednesday, everybody and their mom can see it. And so in Gadget and everybody has their stories on the Rift, on the Quest launch games and stuff like that. It could be that, but it also could be, hey, we've got a, we've got a new Rift. It's not a, a brand new product that like no one needs to sell their current Rifts. It's just the new Rift. It's called Rift S, but it, it's just the new Rift. There's some benefits. There's there's some non-benefits. No one needs to run out and buy this immediately. It's just It's just our new Rift. That's all it is. Couldn't that just happen, Gary? Would that be such a shocker? Not really. Not from my point of view. No, I think that that's possible. I mean, the the thing is, the way they're positioning. I mean, we say I I, I sort of slipped there because the way I, I was going to say the way they're positioning the Rift S, um, and yet they've not positioned it at all. They've not even confirmed there is a Rift S or anything like that. But the way the rumors are moving at the moment is the fact that the Rift S is a very marginal upgrade to the Oculus Rift, the current version that we have. But it's also the the important thing, the most important thing is the lack of need to put sensors up around your room. If the rumors are to be believed, it's far less invasive in terms of you having to set up all of these things around your room, you can just get an Oculus Rift and that's an important part. And people do ignore it. I understand it's a, and I ignore it really because as a VR enthusiast, I want higher specs. I want the, the, I want the Pimax. I want the wider field of view. I want the higher resolution and this kind of stuff. But 
the wider the way facebook needs to look at this thing is they need to be a, a company that creates the go-to vr headset for pcs and for that they need inside out tracking and this is the thing so going back to your original point anthony with regards to could they announce this is sort of a, i guess it's like a smaller announcement it makes sense it would be a smaller announcement it's not the the rift 2 that everybody wants uh, in terms of the enthusiast community but it's an upgrade it's the new rift this is the one that we are going to deliver to you now when you order an oculus rift it's not the same you don't need all of these usb ports with assigning certain bandwidth you don't need to get an inner tech card which is ludicrous they need to get away from that anyway we all i think we all agree with that so if they can sort of a low level release the rift 2 rift s sorry um that would make make sense to me um although for them as a company to do that although obviously you know i want the highest spec i can get of course one thing i have to mention though is you know the three-year anniversary right march 28th i think is uh is it march 28th or march 26th whatever the three-year anniversary of the oculus rift now the three year that's after GDC, but it's PAX East in Boston will be going on right at that time. And, you know, three years later, here's just a refreshed Rift. It's like a PlayStation 4 Slim. Here's the new Rift. It's just the new Rift. It's just a new Rift. It's not, you know, that could happen on, on the three year anniversary. Okay, one quick bonus question before we move move on from all of this talk is the Oculus Quest is imminent. We know about this. Like everybody knows that the Oculus Quest is very much imminent, but we don't have like a breakdown of like the launch games. And we still don't, I mean, we, we have a lot of games that have been rumored and stuff. Now I'm assuming all of this is going to be cleared up at GDC, but I just wanted to ask you guys, I'll, I'll go to Steve first. Steve, do you believe like as we come out of GDC, we're going to have a, a clear idea on maybe 12 to 15 games that are going to be there at launch? We might have a better idea on the window of launch, maybe not the exact date. And then we might have a better idea on games that are going to be trailing a little bit farther. Or is it still going to be kind of nebulous? Because right now, I mean, we know about like Vader Immortal and, and we know about Dead and Buried and Super Hot and Moss and certain games that are definitely coming to the quest, but we don't, I mean, if, if, if launch is only like not even 60 days away, like normally you'd actually have a little bit more information by this time, but GDC is kind of lining up pretty good. Is that where we're going to get all this? I couldn't say with, with any um, major confidence, the uh, GDC is game developer. So it's the, it's, well, we're going to, as consumers, we're going to get, information from there but that's not the centric theme of the conference itself um it, it's meant to be developer focused and you know i i i don't know like i would agree with you and that it makes sense they need to outline it in some way so that if if i'm running to the store to buy a quest on launch day um i have an idea of what software i assume at some point they'll want to communicate what software is free um it's surely it's going to come with at least one game right um at some point i think they're going to want to communicate you know what that lineup is um i i just i don't know whether or not it's going to be at gdc uh i'm a fan of getting the information sooner than later uh but i think they run the risk of developers not having their software completely ready and then it puts a crunch window on them um robo recall for example we don't 
we don't know what that game even looks like in terms of is it going to be the robo recall we have on pc vr that's ported or is it going to be um you know like an all new sort of uh, experience within the robo recall universe so um let's say epic isn't quite ready you know they they may be in a situation where they wait till very close to launch to announce the software so uh, i wouldn't assume that it's going to be spoken to a much at gdc i would expect that they're going to show some of the stuff that we know off at the very least i would think that they would show off something that we don't know you know you always keep dangling the carrot but i don't yet believe necessarily that they will sort of outline and roadmap all of their software i would like for them to but i'm not convinced that they will yeah gary what about you do you think it'll be a, a big quest blowout or not so much um Honestly, I don't know. I, I I wouldn't even like to guess. I think I think it would mainly be that uh, they, they would focus on Quest, and they'd I think they'd like to announce. I think they'd like to show some kind of footage of the games that have already been announced, because a, a lot of this stuff we're relying on impressions that people have had at these events when they've tried the Quest, like Superhot, for example. How does that look in the Quest and this kind of stuff? So maybe maybe they it, it would be good to for them to show like a, a trail real or something like that but um yeah i don't know i i honestly don't know and i wouldn't even like to speculate too much on it see i'm kind of thinking of like the oculus store and all of that like you know like they don't even have they don't have pages for these quest games yet you know what i mean and because everybody's assuming the quest is april 30th that's that's less than 60 days away if the quest is really april 30th when do you start pre-orders you know is there pre-orders um and then like like the Oculus website, like going to the website and having all the games there. And, and like you speak to like actual footage, like real footage of these actual games, not just like, Oh yeah, super hot. So it's going to look like super hot, but actual video of super hot on the quest. I got to imagine this stuff is very imminent. It has to be because you have to have a little bit of a lead up. I think unless the quest is a little bit farther away, but I guess we'll find out very soon. Okay, let's move on from Speculation Central, and that was a whole lot of speculation. Let's get into a little bit of facts that we have at this point in time. And one of the facts that we do have is Vacation Simulator. It has been dated. It is coming to PC VR on April 9th. And a little bit of unfortunate news is the PlayStation VR version is going to be lagging a little bit behind. It's going to be arriving possibly this summer. Vacation Simulator, you know, this is a big game. One of Steve's all-time favorites is the original Job Simulator. He loves that game so much. He's uh, on the leaderboards all around the world for that one. But the thing about Vacation Simulator is this is the this is like the the real follow up of course we did have Rick and Morty which was kind of a side thing this is a follow up to job simulator and the thing that i always say every time when i'm presented with this topic is i still believe to this very day that no one has done hand interaction in a vr world of picking things up doing things with your hand better than job simulator i still think job simulator is the best that i've tried so far and so i'm still excited lone for echo <laughs> <laughs> oh lone echo yeah lone <laughs> echo is pretty good i mean better inverse kinematics to be sure um but what we did find out with the a new trailer that has come out for Vacation Simulator, there's going to be basically three major vacation areas. You've got a beach area, 
a forest area and a winter mountain area. And then you also have a hub world. We also found out that the price, isn't the price $29.99? I have it written here $24.99, but I thought the price was $29.99. Oh, okay. I'll put the price in the show notes here, but I thought um, I read an article that said it was $24.99. I might be wrong. I might be wrong on that. I think it's $29.99, but maybe someone in chat can report on that (laughs) as we continue to discuss this. But Steve, look, I know you've, you've said it a number of times. You're not a huge fan of Job Simulator. Um, my first question is why, why not a huge fan? And do you disagree with me? Well, you kind of said lone echo there, but in terms of like, like lone echo doesn't have staplers and, and copy machines and donuts that you can eat. You know, is there really that much that you're interacting with in lone echo with your hands, like fine manipulations? What, what lone echo did is they made it natural. So like when you tap your forehead to turn on your headlamp and when you pull out your torch, like, and, and the way you interacted with the doors, when you opened them, it got to a point where I was able to do that without even looking at my hands. That's how good radio radio ready at dawn nailed, um, not just the interactivity, but the actual ways that you engage that with the touch controllers. Job Simulator lets you do a lot of things with the environment around you, uh, but it's just squeeze trigger, pick up donut. Like you can't spin the donut, like you can't play like a basketball player and put the donut around, you know, your finger or anything like that. So um, that's that's what I think of with interactivity isn't just necessarily being able to pick up an object, but to actually do things creatively with the object. Um, but that that is what the games focus on. My, my issue with Job Simulator wasn't that it was a bad experience, wasn't that it wasn't a polished experience, was that it was just merely um, taking the advantages that we saw with VR and applying that to um, what what I couldn't escape as being nothing more than a demo. You know, pick up stapler, put it over here, do this, do that. And the whole narrative around the little robot coming to talk to you and thinking of you as nothing but a, uh, a mindless human clone doing maniacal human task um, is exactly what the game was. Like you were just, it was maniacal. Um, which ironically, you know, kids love it. Like I had kids in the neighborhood that they don't have VR, um, but they had watched many, many hours of people playing Job Simulator on YouTube. So for the sandbox and for the for the sort of the young YouTube generation, um, that type of game is fantastic. So I don't fault Alchemy Labs in any way. Like I, these games are great. These games are great for the market. Just me personally, I bored with them. So uh, if anyone from Alchemy is is watching, uh, make sure you send us a code so I can play Vacation Simulator. You have a chance to change my opinion. Um, but but I know myself that I'm going to sort of, it's just not going to be um, something that motivates me to get in there and play it. Whereas when I can go play a lone echo and I want to find out what happens. Yeah, Gary, I know the original job simulator was unique from the standpoint where it would actually take your room scale space and it would adjust the play area based on your room scale space. And so if you had a really big space, you could have a really big kitchen that you're cooking bacon and eggs and stuff in a a much bigger kitchen. You're walking over to the refrigerator. You're walking over to the microwave. You actually have some space to work there. And then if you're in a a much smaller space, it, it shrinks it down. 
Do you think they're going to have the same deal in Vacation Simulator, or are we in a new era of VR now where no one cares about room scale anymore, unfortunately? I think they'll still have it, but they'll also have an option to... Because did they... Is there even a teleport option in the original Job Simulator to move around? Is there any locomotion at all in, in, in Job Simulator? Because I don't think there is. I think they do sort of change it to your room scale and then the, the game adjusts to that. Um, so maybe they'll just have like a teleport option or something like that in there as well. Um, because we are in a different different age of VR now. And just on to Steve's point about the original job simulator, um, I think it had its place back then. And it is almost like a VR demo in many ways. It's sort of uh, the, these four areas that you can go into. But at that time in VR, we were so deprived of, of great content where we could interact with all of these things that it impressed me a lot. And to this day, it's a great title to put to demo to people, especially younger children and that kind of stuff. I think um, it, it holds up in that way. This one, it's got a tough job, honestly. I think Vacation Simulator today has got a tough job to really impress people. But the price isn't ludicrous, you know, $25, uh, $30, whatever it ends up being. Um, I don't think it's, it's insane to ask for that. And I do like um, these things where you can put people in them and they just have things to interact with. Um, it's not going to blow me away. I'm fully prepared for the fact that this game is not going to blow me away, but I'm really interested to try it nevertheless. Yeah, Alchemy Labs did mention that this is their biggest project ever. So that that sounds pretty exciting. And then also they just they have that much more experience. They've done games. As we get further and further along and developers start working on their third game, their fourth game, their fifth game in VR, things are just start they're going to start to improve. People learn with every one of these projects. So I'm looking forward to that. Just that is going to be um Gary, you mentioned, um, oh my God, the, the the other game Alchemy did, the the big big IP. I'm drawing a blank on it. Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. Yeah, there we go. Um, I liked Rick and Morty because even though it kind of felt a lot of the ways similar to Job Simulator, it had a narrative. It had purpose. It did have the teleportation throughout the garage. You could go to the different quadrants or whatever. Like That is the direction I would love to see Vacation Simulator go, and I would be far more interested in it if it did something like that. Job Simulator was was nothing like that, even though the actual look and feel of the world was very similar. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next story here. And the next one is Borderlands 2 VR. So this game came out last December on PlayStation VR. A lot of people really like this game. It's done very well. It's certainly one of the better PlayStation VR games. But it's back in the news because it has now added support for the PlayStation AIM controller. And this is kind of exciting because, well, at least if you happen to have a PlayStation AIM controller. I got one. I haven't had one for the longest time. And I've played Farpoint, and I've played Chroma Gun, and I've played uh, Firewall. And when you start playing games with the AIM controller, there seems to be a bonus added to the situation because you have this thing that you're holding, you're looking at it, it's reacting very 
very accurately with what you have. And there is an extra little bonus of immersion. And to have this added to Borderlands 2 VR is very exciting. Plus with Borderlands 2, a lot of the game, you're a sniper, you're zooming in. And so it works good for that as well. And then there's also just the control of moving around in the world and having those thumbsticks built onto the aim controller. I haven't had a chance to try this yet, to try my aim with Borderlands 2 VR. Steve, I know you got people visiting you. You're busy. Did you get a chance to try this yet? No. Nope. Nope. And Gary, probably not either, right? <laughs> no, sorry. Um, but and, and just, just on that point, Borderlands 2, for some reason, it really... Uh, I have no interest in it. I played it those first few days, and I, I'm, I'm sorry because I know a lot of people really like Borderlands 2, um, and it just really didn't appeal to me. And I expected it to. I wanted to go in there to uh, enjoy it. I, I honestly did, but yeah, I don't think I'll be trying this with the aim controller anyway. What turned you off by it? Was it the, like the hit points, the, the the that kind of bouncing <laughs> off of the the people you were battling, or because I I thought borderlands kind of perfect for vr with with the the way the cell shaded graphics are and the gunplay like to me borderlands is a perfect game my issue more specifically was with the playstation vr move controller implementation that i cannot stand so the aim controller now puts me because i had kind of backed off of borderlands and said okay i'm gonna wait because we all think it's coming to pc and uh i guess with each passing quarter that goes by i'm becoming more and more of a pc snob despite my my entire lifetime of being a console uh, gamer but um now with the aim controller it's making me second that because the aim controller will give you the thumbstick which lets you move around the world and not be impeded by every other interaction interactivity thing that you want to do so i i'm excited i actually think it might become the 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 de facto way to to properly play the game so i'm going to jump back in i I just kind of was wanting to throw some comments on there um even though i hadn't played it yet i think it may be the best way to play it including even the time when it, it if it does make its way to pc yeah i'm not arguing um because i i agree i think the 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 aim controller on the PSVR is really good um, for the most part. It's got its problems, of course, but I think having those analog sticks on the aim controller and playing a game which revolves around it is fantastic. Borderlands 2 for me was just, it, it just didn't push my buttons, I suppose. It was like, um, it felt like the world itself it just didn't appeal to me. Um, and it's really down to that. I guess it's more down to that than anything that the game did wrong. Because I think when, when I played through it, there were a lot of mechanics that I really enjoyed. You know, it didn't really bother me um, almost anything. The fact that I just didn't really feel in, compelled to keep playing. I didn't want to be in this world. I play a game like Skyrim or Fallout and I want to continue playing. I want to be invested in these worlds. Borderlands just didn't hit me in that same way, unfortunately. Yeah, sometimes we have games where we don't know why we don't want to be in it, but we just don't. And then there's other games we want to continue to be in it and we don't really understand why either. Um, but, you know, the proof is in the plane, right? Okay, well, we can go ahead and move on to our final little story of the day. And this is just a little another Oculus Quest story. And we found out, I believe, I'm not sure if it was John Carmack, but somebody confirmed that Oculus Quest will indeed have the same exact side-loading capabilities as Oculus Go. And I don't think there's any huge shocker there. What do you guys, anybody have any thoughts on that? 
Well, I, you know, I thought it might that it was a little bit of a shocker because they had come out uh, last week saying, you know, how the store is going to be tougher curated. And we know it, it really it seems that Oculus is is going more away from the open spectrum. I know they're involved in open XR and maybe it's because I'm just coming off of reading history of the future and, you know, my, my concerns about Oculus, you know, without uh, Palmer there, without Arib there, you know, that, that they may just continue evolving closer to, to what Facebook represents. Um, I think that it is news and that they're keeping the side load um, uh, there because I didn't see it as a foregone conclusion. Maybe, maybe it could be just me that, that assumed that, but, um, you know, having that confirmation at least tells us that the situation is going to be no, no different than the go, that there will be the opportunity to sideload. Now, whether or not there, because it's a six degree of freedom system and all that, whether or not there will be actual content. So with the go, it mattered because there was gear VR content that, that it didn't make it to the Oculus store. Minecraft is a good example of that. With the Quest, there may not be as many examples of that, but at least having that ability. Uh, and some people, you know, that you could sideload the Netflix app on to go and get the download feature that you have on smartphones and tablets. For, for some reason, the download feature wasn't on the Go version. So uh, having some ability to sideload, I think, is uh, just helps people that are concerned of being too walled off. Uh, you know, gives them a, one little inch of, of, of openness kind of can help people feel better. Well, yeah, I mean, we're always hearing about people playing Quake or Doom or whatever, you know, these special versions that people sideload on. And I think the guy that the guy that was working on, like, like they're bringing like Half-Life 2 or something to, right? It was in one of the well, stories, Half-Life 2 on the go. Somebody figured out a way to get it kind of running. And they're going to experiment with that maybe on the Quest as well. So lots of interesting little things like that. And so having the sideload option be there is is critical for that. Also, in related news, both the Oculus Go and Oculus Quest are going to have enterprise versions later this year. That was something that Oculus announced. And I think you kind of you have to have this sideload ability because, for example, like let's say BMW or somebody wants to use a bunch of Oculus Quests in their showroom to let people see cars in different colors and different interiors or whatever, you know, whatever, right? They would have to side, like they would have to create this special software and then sideload it. So it kind of has to have that, right? If it's going to do enterprise and stuff, although we don't know the exact details of how it will all work. One of the questions I've always pondered though, and, and this, this remains an open question and I'm going to be at GDC and hopefully I might be able to talk to somebody at Oculus and maybe get some better clarification for this, but is in the VR arcade world, there's this thing called Springboard VR. And see, nobody in VR arcade land is using Oculus Rifts. And one of the main reasons they're not using Oculus Rifts is because there isn't a system through Oculus where you can let somebody play uh, Lone Echo in a VR arcade and you're charging them and, and the Ready at Dawn gets paid, Oculus gets paid, the VR arcade gets paid. There's no system set up for that right now. And I always thought that there was going to be a system. And I kind of feel like Oculus Quest, like how perfect is the Oculus Quest for a VR arcade 
from the standpoint, there's no wires. You know, you don't got to worry about the wires. You don't got to buy another PC. You just got to buy, you just got to have a bunch of these Oculus Quests and you can have people in little quadrants playing super hot, Beat Saber. I mean, a lot of these games are going to come. But we did get this story about the Enterprise Editions coming later this year, but still no word of any type of springboard VR type of competitor built in through Oculus, which I thought they were working on that, but I guess we're going to have to wait a little bit. Um, all right. Well, that's pretty much all the major news stories that we have at this point. Was there anything else that we missed, guys, that you wanted to get into before we get into Shadow Legend VR? No. Nope. Okay. Okay. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into it? Shadow Legend VR, baby. This is a big one. It's a big one. And so this game was delayed several times. Original release date, I believe, was February 21st. It got pushed back one week, February 28th. Got pushed back another week, March 7th. It is now available. The developer is Vitruvius VR. It is going for 25 bucks or basically about 20 pounds. It is out there. Some people are still reporting some minor problems here and there, but most people love this game, although there is some concern about the length. Why don't I go ahead and bounce over to Gary first? Gary, I know you've been playing this for a while now. Have you finished the game completely? Are you still in the middle of the game? And, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm still in the middle of the game. So the reason for that is because um, we received a key for it and then it got delayed and delayed. So I played through it first on the VR Roundtable account and then I played through that opening section. I started again. So I got, I got you know, sort of halfway through the game or a quarter, not a half. It was about a quarter of the way through. And then I had to go back and start it again on my own account. I wanted to start playing it on my own account because I knew I was going to... Uh, really enjoy playing through it um but to me i i guess that the thing that stands out immediately is the interactivity in this game this is something that's been mentioned numerous times with regards to the game um you go around these relatively detailed environments which have a lot of things lying around and it plays on that little aspect of games that, that games sometimes do where you see something and you think, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I can do that. So, for example, uh, you see a frying pan <laughs> lying around next to a fire and then you see a raw steak uh, next to the frying pan. And you think, I wonder if I can do that because it's, it's blatant. It's almost blatant. So why wouldn't I be able to do it? So you pick the, the steak up. Uh, interact with it in a very realistic way and then you place it in the frying pan and warm it up and it cooks in the way you expect it to do these things on the one hand i'd say these things are very simple and very easy things to impress an audience in vr and at the same time i don't underestimate the amount of effort that it takes for developers to implement these things into their games and this game has those kinds of things in spades they're all over the place there is so much interactivity so many little things that you can point to and just think i wonder if i can do this i wonder if i can do that and they all seem to work for the most part not entirely of course um but overall so taking all of that aside i think the developers put a, a lot of work into that side of things and it's very easy to get some kind of uh, some people impressed with that 
But taking that aside and just talking about the game itself, the game itself is good. Um, the graphics are great. And uh, the, the, I suppose the one thing about the graphics, the NPCs to me, I don't know if anybody felt this, the NPCs don't look absolutely fantastic in in every way or anything like that. Um, but they're serviceable for the most part. Um, and the other thing, there's there's a lot of text to read in this game. Now, I played it because you've got the option in this game where you can actually speak the text and talk to these people, uh, I guess, to sort of increase immersion. I never played that because I'm not interested in doing that kind of stuff in this in this game. Um, so I've played it in, in the more traditional way of gaming in terms of like you select the text that you want to speak and then the NPC responds accordingly. Um, and that worked fine, but there is a lot of text to read, especially during the beginning of this game. Nothing to take away. I think it builds the story and that kind of stuff. Um, so I suppose, I mean, I'll pass it over to somebody else because there's so many things to say about this game. My overall impression is that I think it's great, first of all, and the price is very good for what is being offered now i know there's some concerns about the length of the game um i haven't finished it but i think even given the price that it's on for which is not too expensive i think even if it's sort of a four hour game which is what i've heard i think that that warrants the price that they're asking for especially with the amount of little details and little things that you can do in this game i think it's i think it's really worth checking out Okay, um, Steve, you know, when it comes to Shadow Legend VR, how would you describe this game? Because it's not really a Skyrim, and it's not a dungeon crawler like Carnage Chronicles either. Like, what is this game? Like, how would you break it down? Well, I, I'm not sure that it's not like a Skyrim. It's obviously not as big as Skyrim and as fully scoped as Skyrim. But other than that, I think it sort of belongs... Uh, far more in the Skyrim-esque side of things than the dungeon crawler, Mage's Tale side of things, Diablo, whatever. Um, at a high level, 25 bucks, four hours, very quality four hours, go buy it. Like it gets, it gets no question, it gets a buy from me. Um, when I when I think about this game deeper, you know, I I I'll keep with Skyrim and say well, what type of experience am I enjoying more? Am I enjoying Skyrim more or am I enjoying Shadow Legend VR more? Because Gary's absolutely right. Like if you think of doing something in this game, you can do it. Like the climbing of the ladders is is intuitive and just works. The uh, You can kind of shimmy through ledges inside houses and, and pull yourself up on a chain to walk the rafters and get objects that are up on the rafters. Um, you know, you can feed a feed the dog a biscuit or or play fetch with the dog with a stick. Um, it, it, anything you can think of doing, um, it it does. And I would say, and, and like the, we were talking about Job Simulator earlier. Like Job Simulator has you stand in one spot and fiddle around with donuts and staplers. This game actually has you in a world and interacting with just about. If you see anything, you can basically interact with it. Now it may not have significant meaning. It may not change the story. It may not be an item that you can use in battle, but you can pick it up and you can fiddle with it. So if you're the type of person that that sort of likes that interactivity and you just kind of want to be able to, to do anything that you can think of but also have a story to it and a purpose uh this game is perfect at that i i like this game a lot now 
Um, I will say, you know, I've kind of thought about it and, and, you know, we have Game of Thrones coming back here in a few weeks. So we start building the, the GOT hype, but a lot of people complained last season of Game of Thrones that, um, uh, Lord Peter Baelish was rocketing all around Westeros and, you know, that they didn't, how's he, how is he here in this scene? And then on the other side of the world in another scene. And I think some of that is because you assume that he's traveling like it doesn't necessarily make for good tv to see him in a horse buggy traveling all the time uh i almost think of games in a similar fashion in that um is a game better because i can pick up a carrot and feed a horse what does that really contribute to the overall uh feeling the the overall purpose of a game um and and me as a gamer, I guess I always focus on efficiency, and it's why I may prefer something like a Skyrim in this case, uh, even though it's push button to interact, um, it lets me see more and do more in a quicker period of time. Uh, you know, I was in that first uh, outdoor area in, in Shadow Legend VR for quite a while before I really got to my first battle. So there's, there's, you know, it's preferences. I'm not saying that there's one right way or wrong way, but in either case, um, I do recommend this game. I think it's done really well. Uh, I have to assume that the development team is, is relatively small in size and compared to most of the games that come out there, um, this has a, a level of polish that goes along with that interactivity that we don't see very often. So uh, kudos to Vitruvius. Uh, I, I think they've, they've uh, made a very good game here. Yeah, so my take on the game, I mean, I've, I've just been blown away by this game. Like, I really, really like this game. However, I have to say that I'm into collecting things. I love exploring every nook and cranny. That is my style. And this game is built for that. Like, it's built for me. And so you've got these people that are running through this game in, like, three hours. And the the thing about the time, though, is, like, we got this game a long time ago. And when we got the game, and it's still kind of happening to, to this day, because I think... Uh, rendered reality says, yeah, rendered reality in chat says shadow legends is a lot of fun, but would freeze when trying to load the next scene. I thought they fixed this and that was why they pushed the re release date back. And yeah, that was the problem. And that's why they kept pushing it back. But I think this is one of these bugs. Like sometimes there's a bug and the developers can't figure out why it's happening and maybe to fix the bug, they've got to practically redesign the entire game, and they're not going to do that. So I think what they ultimately found out was that this is something that affects a small number of players, and it did affect me. And I think maybe because I would play a stage, and I would be in a stage for a long time, and then like I'm, I'm going to the next stage, the game would crash, and so I'd be like, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and play it again later. And so I kept doing it like that. So I'd keep playing in these like 35-minute bursts or 40-minute bursts. And they kept stacking on top of each other. And so when people are saying, oh, this game only takes three or four hours, I'm like, you're crazy. I've been in here for like five, six hours. But it's because I keep having these, you know, like if the game just worked perfectly in the very beginning, I might have ran through a lot of it a lot faster. So it is a short game. It's absolutely a short game, but I think the key factor here is that Vitruvius VR, they set, they set out to make a very specific thing, 
And I think they absolutely nailed it. Now, do I believe it is everything to everybody? No. Do I believe like the combat is the best way combat has ever been handled in a in a dungeon crawling Skyrim type of a game? No, I don't. Um, it, are the graphics the best graphics I've ever seen? Yes, they are. No, I'm just kidding. No, but there is a level. There is a level where you get to that snow. Like, have you guys been to that snow castle towards the end? There's a snow castle. Oh my God. It just looks like a magical winter wonderland where there's like this overcast sky and you've got these like little snowflakes that are falling down and you've got this magical castle in front of you. And there's these irritating eyeball things that are flying all over that you have to deal with. And that was some of the best graphics I've ever seen in VR period. I love exploring like Steve was talking about. You climb up on the rafters. There's man, there's little gems and gold coins and gold chalices and runes everywhere. They're hidden everywhere. And so you're exploring it. You're finding all this stuff. Sometimes you're using your bow and arrow to knock down a rune that is stuck up by the chimney on some uh, on a ceiling. I mean, on a on a rooftop. And you knock the rune down and it falls down and you grab it. There's horses. You can feed them carrots. You got a little Rottweiler you can play with. Guys are doing, you know, a little sword fight. You can kind of watch them. There's a guy that does the bow and arrow, Cedric, and you learn from him. You learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. And you talk to some different characters here. Now, ultimately, where does it go bad? I think where it kind of goes bad is that you you imagine you're in this grand magical experience. You're in Anaria, and it's like, oh my god, this is awesome. But then you start to realize, like, as you get a little bit further along, and you're like three hours into the game, you realize, man, there's only another hour of this thing, man, and it's all going to come to an end. And you just wish it just kept going. You know, is is it just me? I kind of like. I wish they had. Um, I wish Vitruvius VR could make like a new game plus, you know, so it like keeps going and they add maybe some extra other enemies that come in. They they bump the difficulty level up. Maybe they add some other little things that you have to locate and find. But I really love the game. I think it's awesome. But it's not there's going to be some people that will play Shadow Legend VR and they're going to be like, what is everybody smoking? This isn't that great. It's OK. It's it's not the next best thing ever you know so i think um just very quickly i'd love to hear your guys impressions on the combat as well because i've heard <laughs> I was some, say some... the same thing <laughs> uh yeah this, this is i suppose it's the point where the game falls down but it's also the point to me okay so i'll go first for me this is the point where a lot of games like this fall down um in terms of combat and i don't think this game's necessarily doing anything radically wrong with combat it doesn't feel great and i've heard comments um on reddit about how the it feels like the the weapons are too light and that kind of stuff but i wonder how can you make the weapons feel heavy without sort of extra te technology hardware technology really because you could i suppose you could delay the swing of your sword um so it doesn't it, it sort of lags behind your hand to make it seem heavier in some ways but then you're losing immersion because your hand is not where the sword is and there's a lot of problems with combat in vr and this is really i guess the root of my question there are so many 
problems with combat in VR, I don't think any game has done it perfectly. Um, and yet at the same time, I do play this game and I think I wish it was better. And I think that in Carnage Chronicles, I think it, even in Vanishing Realms, which initially very much impressed me in terms of combat, but that was back then. Now it doesn't. I've gone back into Vanishing Realms and it doesn't impress me in the same way as it did. And I struggle to think how a developer can make combat as compelling as we all want it to be with the technology that they're working with. Um, Steve, what, what do you think? I agree with you. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't know what the solution is like in playing this game, how the combat works is you, you, you almost, you stand there and you wait for the enemy to attack and then you parry with your uh, sword or, or I guess other weapons. When you get them, you parry it makes a little chink sound. You see the little flash where your two swords came together or whatever. And then that opens the enemy for you to, to like counter uh, strike and you can't just freely walk up and hit like they're they have the most amazing shield abilities they'll block anything you do when it's not a parry and in the first battle sequence i picked up a second sword because i didn't have a shield uh, i've not seen a shield so i don't know if you you as a player ever get a shield in the game but i picked up a second sword and i was kind of coming at them akimbo style and i was able to get some hits without it being a parry but even then my my combat style was parry and then just wail on them with both hands and and then wait to parry again so it's it is um it is it is restricted and i'll say you know i I don't think that there is necessarily a solution that we have with the technology today. Um, when I play Skyrim, I tend to be, I tend to use bow and arrow and magic. Uh, when I played Fallout, I almost never use melee of any sort. You know, it's all, it's mostly all gunplay. Um, I think melee in VR is very hard. I, I don't think uh, Vitruvius has done anything bad, um, and and they're no worse than most other games so uh, i'm not faulting them as much as i am faulting the technology and then i think at a, at a higher level like when, when people talk about vr being a gimmick there's validity to that comment because uh, a lot of melee is is like the nintendo wii days it is a little bit you know waggle your wrist around and um, i don't think there's a solution to that and and i've always said you know i can't i can't do i can't pull off the maneuvers of Kratos and God of War. Like he does some, some badass stuff. I'll never be able to do that here in my room. So like, is there a, a way, can we, um, as, as a VR community almost get away from the hard motion controller requirement? Game pads are bad. Game pads are bad. Well, with a game pad, we don't have this melee problem. You can have more complicated melee systems. You're just not doing it with your own hands. So there's there's an argument in there, and, and I'm not saying you know that one we has to be one way or the other, um, but I just think that there is a deeper, wider, larger problem uh, that hopefully we can solve here. You know, one thing I forgot to mention is this this game has a lot of extra little systems that are going in it. You know, for, like we didn't mention the fact like you collect all this gold and all these gems and stuff and you actually sell them and you get money and then you use the money to buy more advanced weapons. They have like an ice bow and an ice sword and there's like some different little uh, magical staffs that you can use. And so there's like this upgrade mechanic 
And then there's also an upgrade in terms of like you can make your health more. You can increase the damage of your bow or the damage of your sword. Like every time you kill an enemy, you you harvest one of their hearts. And so you can spend like four hearts to increase your health from 110 to 120. Or you can spend four hearts to take the damage level of your arrows from 22 to 24. There, There's all these different things like... This game has like these systems inside it for a much longer, much grander game. But we don't really have that much longer, grander game. But man, Vitruvia's VR, all I got to say is just keep banging away at this thing because you've got the foundation here. Like one, one, of, the, one of the criticisms somebody could say is, well, you know, you go into Shadow Legend VR and it's exactly the same. Every you, you basically are dealing with these giant rooms that are like the size of two football fields put right on the side of each other, and everything is contained in these giant rooms. So you might be outside in front of a castle, but it's basically got that same size. Or you might be outside and your your guys are battling with their swords and you got horses and dogs, but it's basically the same size. Or sometimes you're in an indoor area, but it's basically the same size. And that could be a criticism somebody could make. And I'll say, yeah, you know, you're right. It's not a, a wide open Skyrim world where I can see a mountain way over there and I can walk to that mountain. But what they did inside this room area that they've created, they really locked it down well and really did a good job. And honestly, all I think they need to do is just keep making more, just make more and more of it. Because I think all the systems work, the climbing works, the exploratory stuff works. The combat, like you guys said, the combat isn't the greatest, but there we don't have a shining example to point to right now at this point. But I'm I'm a big fan of Shadow Legend VR. It's the I feel like this is the best game I've played that's been released in the year 2019 so far. Uh, Gary, real quick, what's the best game you've played in 2019 so far? We've got stuff like Tabletop Gods, uh, A Fisherman's Tale. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, Eden tomorrow, you know, I don't know what else has come out this year. Final Assault, Final Assault. Um, oh, okay, that, yeah. That, that's one I've been playing a little bit more this past week as well, but um, yeah, that's definitely up there. I think Shadow Legend VR, you see, to me, Shadow Legend VR is a very polished game, but it's not quite up to the standard of something like Final Assault and, and some of these other games in that respect, but I appreciate what they're doing probably, actually, see, Shadow Legend VR is far more of my kind of game, um, the kind of game that I want VR to do. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely up there, but Final Assault is just one I'm having a, a lot of fun in at the moment. That's a good point. I agree. Final Final Assault would be my choice as well. Uh, I have not been historically a uh, real-time strategy person, but VR as a medium does it so well that it's making me a fan. Whereas I've always been an RPG fan, but VR, while it does amazing things, it has its downside. So it's interesting how the strengths of a medium are making me like games that historically I've, I've not always liked and are, I wouldn't say shying me away, but are, are, are giving me pause with games that I have historically always liked. So I think that's a pretty interesting dynamic. All right. Well, there was another big game that released this week as well. Shadow Legend VR was definitely the big one, but we had another big one, Attica by Harmonix. Okay, so 
Beat Saber obviously came into the mix last year, kind of took the VR world by storm. Not only that, but it crossed over into like the greater video game consciousness and became this really big deal. And you have a company like Harmonix. They, they've been involved in VR since the very beginning. They made Harmonix Music VR on PlayStation VR, which I think is actually a pretty cool little fun thing to do. There's a demo for it. Check it out if you've never tried that demo out. And then Harmonix hooked up with Oculus and brought us Rock Band VR. I've never played Rock Band VR, but I've heard it's pretty good. Then they saw what happened with Beat Saber, and they saw this other company come out of the woodwork and eat their lunch right in front of them. And so they thought, man, we need to get up in here and do something. And that is where Autica is born. And so Autica has released. It's available for 20 bucks. It's not super expensive, you know, $19.99, about 16 pounds or so roughly in the UK. And um, why don't I shoot it over to Steve first? Steve, you got your hands on Autica. We're battling on the leaderboards, or maybe I'm battling with your six-year-old son. But how's it going there? <laughs> so um, I recommend the game. Like it is in buy territory, um, but it isn't the the um, the heaven that Beat Saber was. Beat Saber. When I played it the first time, but hell, before I played Beat Saber, I could look at one of those live videos, the mixed reality videos. I could look at it and I could say, that game is going to be fun. Every one of us knew that Beat Saber was going to be super fun before we even played it. So I get into Beat Saber, absolutely love it, right from the jump. Attica is a polished experience. It is a good game. It's a game that I can, can I'm confident and that I recommend people buy, but it, didn't wow me in the same way that Beat Saber did. It, it wasn't as intuitive. Uh, Attica has a learning curve to it. Um, I, I I can play a few musical instruments. Um, I used to play drums. For a white boy, I would like to say that I have rhythm. Um, Attica, <laughs> Attica, it, 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 it's not intuitive. Like the rhythm wasn't, wasn't there in the same way like um i've always been good at guitar hero and one of the things i'll say and and i need to explore it more was in this in the menu settings like those of us that played guitar hero and then rock band back in the day this is before uh you know it was sort of around the time when hd tvs were becoming prominent but in the menu and in the settings you would go in and you would set your audio delay so that by the time your tv processed the video the audio would be in sync that's not an issue with vr or so i thought until i played this game and lo and behold in the menu there are settings for adjusting the audio delay and i almost wonder if i have to go in and adjust those settings i don't know why i would need to in a vr headset where i have integrated audio and everyone has the exact same display um you know why why would latency be an issue so um it just something is off now i'll also say that the at a glance, what happens is you see the colored notes coming and then it hits this point in which you're supposed to shoot it. And that is relatively in time with the music. You have an orange gun in one hand, you have a blue gun in the other hand. And that's simple enough. But then there are certain other types of notes that you're supposed to hold down the trigger. And uh, so it's a sustained note. And, and that's simple enough. But then you have these other orbs that come at you that you have to melee punch. 
that's straightforward. Um, where it starts getting more complicated, and it's at the the higher difficulty levels, you have to start turning your gun sideways, like like you're straight out of the hood, out, right out of an Easy E video, <laughs> and then okay that as a mechanic by itself isn't hard. Um, and then you have other movements where you're supposed to press and hold and then you kind of drag a motion through to chain these other notes together. It starts becoming difficult in a, in a chaotic way when you're trying to balance those all at the same time. So when you start playing on, I believe it's hard, it's the third difficulty level. Easy doesn't throw too much of that stuff at you. Medium starts to introduce it. But at the hard level, it starts throwing all of that, those different mechanics at you. And turning my wrist, for example, from the normal shot to the gangsta shot, there, there's, there's nothing in the music. There's nothing in the rhythm that gives you that, that cue. You just have to see it and do it in a, in a chaotic gaming kind of way. Uh, whereas a game like Beat Saber, everything was perfect. Like it, it, you, you didn't have to overthink it. In this game, I have to like think and concentrate. Like I'm playing Tetris on, on level 994. Like things are just coming so fast and chaotic. And maybe I'm getting old, old man setting in, whatever. But, um, I think it's just something I like the game. I think it's got a lot of promise. I'll go back to how I started. I recommend people buy it. It's polished is a good experience, but it's not Beat Saber. And I don't know that it ever will be. Or it's not as good as Beat Saber. And I don't know that it ever will be. Gary. Um, yeah. So everybody knows my, well, a lot of people that are regular viewers will know my history with uh, rhythm games. So I'm not a big fan of this. Um, of rhythm games, I should say. But Audica, I—it's not that I—I um, I should really explain. It's not that I am dismissive of games like this. They're just really not what I'm looking for in the long term of VR, really. And and these games like uh, Audica, Beat Saber—they're all high score chasing. These, I think that I'm trying to get to the fundamental reasons of why these games just don't appeal to me. They're all high score chasing and you keep playing in order to get a better score and that kind of stuff. Same as Tetris and I put Audica in the same bracket as Beat Saber and Tetris. All of all three of those games are are good in different levels, okay? And but they don't appeal to me in what I want with VR. And VR it for me is about immersion and placing me within a world. I could go on on a long rant about this, and actually I, I did have plans to do that, but I'm not going to because I'm going to bore people. Um, but what I want to say about this game, okay, I really like it. I do like it in the same way that I like Beat Saber. Um, and what Steve was saying is something that that actually hit me as well with this game. It's not like Beat Saber in the same way that. Everything clicks, everything locks into place so solidly with Beat Saber when you play that game, which really it does need to do with a rhythm game. With this, it doesn't lock in in the same way. But once you get used to it, I think you can sort of deal with that. Now, to me, Audica, it's, sort of, it's almost like focusing more on off beats than the beats themselves. And then it will transition to, the, to the, the actual beats. And that's where sort of the confusion and why things can be a little bit more frantic in Audica. Um, 
the 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 immediate thing i suppose is i suppose what uh steve was alluding to as well is that this just doesn't immediately feel as good as beat saber and obviously it's going to have that comparison this is the most direct comparison with audica beat saber is instant it feels good to hit those blocks with those lightsabers um and it continues to do so for a while eventually in, in my opinion that that wears off and you're left with just a good rhythm game Audica doesn't have that instant feel-good factor, I don't feel, anyway. Um, and there's, it's far more complicated than Beat Saber. Um, but I would also argue on that point that it actually makes me want to play Audica a little bit more than Beat Saber, for me, um, because I want to get good at all these little mechanics and get to know the songs more. Because they're not as instant, they're not, they're not how... Beat Saber feels, um, I want to understand them a little bit more. So I've probably played more Audica this week than I played in the first week of Beat Saber because I, it, it, for some reason it compels me to play it a little bit more and to understand it a little bit more. I'm not saying it feels as good as Beat Saber because it doesn't and that will be something that will turn a lot of people off. But I think the game itself is good. Um, the music doesn't appeal to me. Beat Saber music doesn't appeal to me, but it, it it's... You know, it's within context of the game, it's good enough. So um, that's fine, really. I, I like the game and I will recommend it as well for people that like rhythm games. Same as I did with Beat Saber. All righty. Well, my thoughts on Attica, man. Okay, so I started off like when I first played Attica and I first experienced it because, be well, before I even got it, that video with the lady doing the stuff and you, she's bending all over and, you know, doing all that stuff. And you, you saw the original trailer for Attica and I saw that trailer and I was like, damn, these fools killed it. I thought, Oh my God, this looks incredible. This might be even better than beat saber. And then I got the game and the first day I played it, I was like, ah, oh, man, it wasn't a religious experience. It didn't make me cry. You know, it wasn't quite like how Beat Saber was that very first day. But you know what? I find myself wanting to play Attica all the freaking time. It's all I can think about. I can't stop playing that game. Like when I'm done with this show, I'm going to want to play that game. I am blown away by Attica. The more I play it, the more I see the brilliance in it. And this this is not like what Gary was talking about. The way the beats come, you got to learn each individual song and you've got to learn the song all the way through. You got to learn when it's going to do the and when it's going to do that and then when you got to hit that and then when you're banging it with both arms and all the different little tricks that you have to learn. I started playing this on easy. I've just bumped it up to medium. And it is difficult, but there's certain songs that are just, there's this one song called Gold Dust. And if anybody has played Attica, I can't stop playing this song, Gold Dust. It's not even that great of a song, but it just has me hooked beyond belief. And the thing, the one thing I'll say about Attica is the highest high that you get off Attica is way higher than Beat Saber, in my opinion. But the lowest low is a lot lower. So when you go into Beat Saber and you're just playing Beat Saber, I think you're going to have more initial fun than you will in Attica. But I think as you get better and better at Attica, you're, you're in a zone. You're in a completely different zone. Attica is a dream of a dream. I love this game. Man, I'm almost... 
I'm almost willing to say it's game of the year 2019 and actually put it ahead of Shadow Legend VR right now at this point. I haven't played as much Final Assault as you guys have played, although it is absolutely incredible. Uh, Final Assault as well. But I am absolutely loving Nautica. Oh, the other tip I have is get some big-ass tower speakers and arrange your setup so that the front of your setup is where the front of your speakers are and, and crank your subwoofer and turn the volume to the max and just play Attica. It is so freaking badass. I'm loving it. What about the, um, I'm, I, I've got a, two subwoofers in here that, that I use when I'm, I'm playing these type of games. Um, but the music itself, like, you know, like you say, I think Gary said, we're, it's natural to compare this to Beat Saber. The music in Attica, I feel is quite a step down than the music in Beat Saber. Um, this, this sounds like they're, background tracks that like you're watching a movie and the the movie the scene is in a club or something this sounds like the background music to that like it doesn't sound like it's tracks that were were cut and produced for a rhythm game which beat saber um they partnered i, I forget that person's name but like those were very intentional as as the rhythm game tracks like do you all notice that at all yeah i i did too uh to me the music can be say but neither of these games are really my cup of tea in terms of music that i would listen to but in the context of the games i can appreciate them for what they are but i agree i think the music overall in terms of quality is better in beat saber than it is in this game um but uh, you know i, I think that's almost part of the attraction, weirdly, because that this game and what, what we were speaking to earlier, how it deals with like offbeats and that kind of stuff, um, it's almost like I want to... It's not the music itself that I'm listening to. I'm, I'm just not listening to that kind of stuff. I'm not I'm not in, infused about the music in Beat Saber or this. It's the fact I just want to get through the song and I want to, I want to uh, understand how they've got these notes in the way they've done them because they they are strange then they're, they're not not simple one quick point before uh, anthony answers that question as well is i do like the aspect of when you miss a note it sort of uh, it dulls the sound it sort of uh, uh, moves it into the background um and i don't know there's probably a lot of other games that do that as well rhythm games um i'm not a fan but the the do that same thing and i did like that aspect because it sort of gives you motivation i want to get the best sound possible and i want <laughs> to hear this song uh, through so i want to hit the next note bang on um and i did i did like that aspect um but what did you think of the music overall anthony well real let me just respond to what you just said right there because the Attica, if you're playing Attica badly the music sounds awful. It sounds absolutely awful. And if you're playing Attica perfectly, the music sounds great because of what they do there. And so I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that grabbed Attica right away and they're like, they're, you know, they're missing their shots and stuff. And they're like, this just sounds terrible. You know, F this, I'm refunding it. I'm sure there's people that have done that. And I think they made a terrible mistake because it's one of these things. And speaking to the music, I will say that Beat Saber's music was more, more, I, I didn't fall in love with Beat Saber's music immediately, but it was, I was faster to enjoy it than the music here. But again, it's one of these things like, like that song Gold Dust. The first time I played it, I didn't like that song at all, but like the ninth, 10th time I played it, I'm freaking in love with that song and I want it in my car now. 
And it's just one of those things. And so I just think it's like, you just got to keep going back and back to it. But yeah, I don't think the music, objectively, the music is not quite as good as Beat Saber, I would have to say, just overall. But I've found a couple of key songs. And, and what Gary speaks to, too, again, these songs are not, they're not a pop, it's not a pop song. You know, it, some of the things, like, like there will be times where the song almost shuts down and you think the song is over and then it restarts back up and stuff. It's not... You know, so but I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that it's a little it's a little bit more out there. I think Attica, Attica is more for like hardcore rhythm fans, which I'm not really a hardcore rhythm fan, but but I think if you're a really like I think there's hardcore rhythm fans that might play Beat Saber and be like, This is for babies. And then they play Attica and they're like, Okay, this is this is what I'm talking about. This is more what I'm talking about here. But that's kind of my thoughts there. All right, well, that is Shadow Legend VR and Attica, and that's pretty much, we've been yapping around for a while now, so pretty long show. Any other little things we wanted to get into before we bounced out of here? I don't have anything. No, we always find me. a way to, um, you know, we're like, oh man, we don't have enough content this week, and here we are crossing two hours. <laughs> yeah, it happens every time. But yeah, so that will go ahead and do it for episode 116 of our show. I did want to thank all the Super Chatters today. We had a lot of people hopping in on Super Chat. Very much appreciate that. We also appreciate it. Uh, well, we appreciate everybody in chat right now. It's wonderful to have a live chat and all these people uh, giving us some feedback and stuff as the show goes on. But I'd also like to remind people we really love the comments after the fact. And then also... We do do this show. Uh, it's available on iTunes. It's available on most of the podcasting applications that are out there. And if you could possibly leave a review, that really helps us out tremendously. So we would really like that. But also, that's going to do it. Sub, a sub. So I was looking at the, um, the YouTube analytics or whatever. For the past 28 days, 40% of the people viewing this on YouTube has not subscribed. So... Um, I, my little thing here is telling me there's about a hundred people listening to my words. As I say this, that means 40 of you have not subscribed, hit it, hit the subscribe button. We're thankful that you're watching and you watching matters more, but for a lot of the developers, they only look at that little subscribe number. It doesn't matter how many people are actually watching the show in their eyes. They're looking at that little subscribe number. So we need that number to go up. So people, developers, Valve, hardware companies start uh, giving us a little more insider access so that we can uh, bring news to you quicker. So subscribe. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Have a wonderful week. See ya. Bye. Bye.